Welcome to McKnight's Senior Living Newsmakers Podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. Hi, this is Kim Bonvasuto, content editor for McKnight Senior Living. I recently attended the 2022 Argentum Senior Living Executive Conference in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where I spoke to Argentum Senior Vice President of Public Affairs, Maggie Elowani, and Vice President of Government Relations, Paul Williams. We discussed the policy and legislative priorities that Argentum is focused on and what is going on in the senior living industry. Not surprisingly, COVID remains a top priority. I have to say that COVID still is the front burner issue because we're living, even though as we try to round the corner, we all want to put this pandemic behind us. But we have to remember as um, COVID keeps reemerging in in various uh, formats that the most vulnerable population was, is, probably will remain the senior population. We have to continue to be vigilant at protecting them and our our members. uh, The senior living industry is doing an amazing job, is leading the way on how to, to provide that protection at the same time with with not enough resources. And so as we talk about our advocacy in this political year, when we don't have both parties seemingly want to agree on anything, uh, it's challenging. But at the same time, I think we're finding some common ground in two of our our key issues. And And the big issue is just the workforce crisis challenge that has been exacerbated, of course, by COVID, has been exacerbated by um, just the whole workforce atmosphere um, as a result of of COVID. But then if we look in the not too uh, distant future, we see how great those challenges are going to continue to be and continue to be because of the aging population. Um, And because, you know, next in the next uh, decade, we're going to have more seniors. Then, of course, we will children. We're going to have the fastest growing segment of our population uh, be those 85 and older who will need the most care. We don't have the workforce to care for them. We don't have the facilities to care for them. So as we face the challenges of COVID and look forward to the future, we see that there's there's a lot of opportunities because as much in disagreement as the Congress and the administration seems to be in working with each other, I think they all recognize the stark numbers and the reality of the future and that they have not done the investment in certain workforce programs um, and certain opportunities to help create more living space for seniors, to invest in the right technology to help and simplify some of the care and some of maybe even some of the reporting requirements. Congress is spending an awful lot of energy sort of on sort of kind of the happy buzzwords of what they see as, as the future for seniors talking about how they want folks to be able to to age in place, to be able to choose their caregiver, and to be able to stay in their home. And what we're doing and what we find that we're successful in is educating them that while assisted living has been doing that, they've been providing that choice, that um, selection for for a senior for, for several decades now, doing it successfully and by keeping these seniors in a, a safe atmosphere where they meet those key social determinants of health, you know, they get their proper nutrition, they have a safe 24-7 way to, to have oversight and care, they uh, ensure that the medications are taken, you know, we're saving Medicare and Medicaid a heck of a lot of money by doing that. Um, 
it's taking a while to convince Congress that that is indeed the case. But I really feel like we've made very significant progress lately. We've got some champions on the Hill. There's a lot that we need to do. We talked about workforce as the key challenge right now and in the future. The other key priority as Congress rounds the corner in this election year is really also focusing on any other financial relief that we can provide for these caregivers who, because of Congress's lack of understanding of exactly who they are and what they do, really have been, unfortunately, as you know, and you've done a great job covering, really been left out of so many of the equations. So not only do we need that direct financial relief, we need to be creative and think of other ways that we can get them the resources now. You know, tax credits or other financial incentives for families to be able to achieve and, and receive the care in these facilities. Open up new opportunities for our wonderful members who want to expand and offer middle income or low income kind of housing and care for seniors. How can we be able to do that? Because we're going to be able, we need to be doing that now, but we're especially going to be needing to do that in the future. So our two big issues, to have to answer your question in a very long manner, I'm sorry about that, we're focusing on continuing to be those workforce crisis. That's going to be our big ticket item for, for several years to come. And the other issue that we want to work on is trying to patch up some of those terrible holes that have been created as a result of all the losses during this pandemic, allow them to be able to hang on and to be able to allow them to thrive so they can meet the needs of the seniors in the future. And we need, again, to be creative about this since Congress you know, says, oh, we don't have a provider relief fund here or there. We think there's uh, different avenues. Um, some of the legislation that we're looking at is um, we do anticipate there may be a push for an additional relief bill of some sorts, COVID-related. There's an awful lot of talk now about wanting to provide some of the folks in the hospitality industry, especially in the restaurant industry, who may not have been able to get the relief that they feel they needed. The House passed that bill fairly recently. That was, was $55 billion that focused on a whole host of different issues that they felt um, sort of were devastated by, by COVID everywhere from, you know, small theaters, even to some racetracks and other kind of hospitality issues. Incredibly frustrating when, when we're not included in that ticket item, at that particular piece of legislation, I should say. And that's where we're just doing everything we can now to get everyone engaged, speak in a unified voice, bringing the people at this conference, bringing them together, really saying that you can't can't do that again. You can't leave the most vulnerable population behind. God, I'm sure that they're safe as we round out this pandemic, try to get the additional vaccinations um, implemented. Um, we just need help. We can't be left behind again. That was way longer than I know you wanted. I so do you think that, are you still hopeful that there will be an investment at the federal level, or are you turning more so to the states to look for that help? That's a good a good question. I think everything that we're doing federally is being mirrored at the states. So just taking what Maggie said on provider relief, no, it wasn't sufficient, you know, about to cover the industry's losses. Had kind of gotten everything right now, at least currently, that we can get from the federal government. So starting last year when the ARPA funds became available, we started a campaign with our states that this money is supposedly prioritized for the COVID first responders, the people that, you know, on the front lines that provided the care. So 
you know, go out there, make the case, you know, we're going to help you with do that because, again, we've got a very dwindling pool of what we can get federally. And a number of them have done that. Um, I think part of the reason we, you know, are kind of frustrated is despite the fact that they're um, we're one of the most impacted financially um, industries related to COVID, you have a majority of the states that haven't significantly tapped the, the ARPA funds that they have. And even if they have, it's sometimes gone to industries or sectors that have not been COVID impacted. So we continue that. The good news is um, we've got till 2024 um, until th that deadline hits. So we've had some recent successes that you reported on in Georgia, um, Arizona uh, this year. So we're really, you know, impressing upon the states to continue that push and to make that case because more than likely, unless there is another federal infusion, which we're going to continue to push for, the, the, the funding at least way is going to have to come from the states. And Maggie talked about workforce, the same thing. The states are really um, trying to get with their state workforce boards and other resources that they have at the states to address that, that problem as well. And we've seen some of the ARPA funds, if it hasn't been direct provider relief, they've gone to workforce development type of initiatives. And we're impressing upon them, even apart from ARPA, to really explore whatever state resources they have that can help them with the workforce development issues as well. So really try to mirror each other and complement each other. They help us tremendously when we make our, you know, either appropriations or substantive issue asks related to those two issues. And by the same token, we certainly try to help them through toolkits and guidance as they make the state ask as well. So it's a really, really good partnership. And we just heard that it, it's likely that the public health emergency is going to be continued. Is that, does that affect senior living greatly in any way? It does, and uh, we strongly support that being extended. Um, it's important for those, obviously, for, for Medicaid providers, which we do have um, a growing number of, of assisted living caregivers who, who provide that, um, who utilize that kind of payment. Um, it's also important for a lot of telehealth uh, items. Um, there's really a whole host of things that you don't necessarily think are tied to the public health emergency um, that's really important to know. There's also perhaps um, some COVID uh, lawsuits or something that are being told that we're trying to be uh, vigilant and see what perhaps is on the horizon. Hopefully that won't come to fruition. Again, in our, our industry really has tried to do just everything they can to keep these folks safe during, you know, just a, a pandemic that, that they really got very few resources for. So you're, what are you saying to your provider members? What, what's the number one thing that they can do right now to help themselves? Well, it's sort of like the theme of this conference, you know, together we're better, together we're stronger, together we are also louder. And there is so much noise in Washington, D.C. now and in the state legislatures. We just talked to somebody who was, this is the last week in the Minnesota state legislature and, you know, just so much going on. We're really um, trying to get a unified message. Um, there are a couple of windows of opportunity that they're possibly debating, you know, the additional COVID relief bill and the appropriation process. It all may come in towards the end of the year. We do think, and maybe things will be a little more palatable when we get through the election and then there'll be a little more agreement. 
there will be another opportunity at the end of this year. And it's so critically important that we get engaged, we have everybody stay engaged and keep that message going. We have to view this as, you know, we don't just come together once in a while and then, you know, send our message to the Hill and do that. It's, it's a constant message campaign that involves both education of what, of what we're going through and what we do, and also to tailor it with our ask and keep them updated. I mean, there is not a member of Congress who wants to see an assisted living facility close in their district or in their state. Um, they don't want to see that occur. They don't have, I think, enough appreciation of just how serious that financial situation is um, on the ground right now. Um, and that's where it's so critical that members of Congress hear the message from us Boy, it's when they hear it on the ground from their members and can go and see it, that that's where we really get action. And it's just something that our members, I think, enjoy doing, but they're not really used to doing that. And so now as we build up this kind of this grassroots campaign and team, I think uh, both on a state level and a federal level, we feel we're really gaining steam and momentum. And um, um, we just got to get Congress now, now to move in these, these final few months when they're going to do something or hopefully do something. Paul, is there anything going on at the state level anywhere that um, providers nationally should be aware of or concerned about? Well, I think in addition to the two big issues that we talked about, um, we've had a number of states that we have encouraged, and, and a couple states have been successful in extending liability protections is one thing. Um, you know, again, it's it's critical that not only our workers are protected on that, but certainly the providers, um, as they've dealt through a very trying and oftentimes um, periods in, in COVID where you had federal and state um, policies or guidances that conflicted. So I think that's a big thing. But even apart from COVID, one of the most important things that we encouraging Kentucky is a perfect example of this is to continue to expand the services that assisted living can perform under our licensure so that we're able to meet our residents needs and we 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 tell the states and the states know this I mean um, they didn't need us to tell us but we, we do encourage them that we had a tendency I would tell you about 10 years ago 20 years ago where you would have states not update their statutes or regulation for years. And we don't have that luxury anymore. I mean, the care and the resident demands are changing so dynamically now that states really have to go in and make adjustments um, to their statutes and their regulations in order to keep up. So that's always a, an evergreen thing, kind of in a little bit sidetracked, rightfully so, because of the COVID demands. But getting back into, you know, addressing what they need from a statutory and regulatory basis is, is really, really key. Okay. Well, thank you both. I've been speaking with Maggie Elowani and Paul Williams from Argentum, from all of us at McKnight's. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Senior Living Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in senior living news, visit McKnightSeniorLiving.com.